right. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible. And that is the version that is provided on the back of your pews. That will also be what is um, on our screen. Please uh, feel free to use whatever technical device you might have. Just make sure your radio don't go off in the middle of it. Amen. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since uh, Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And Peter rose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And when she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed on the Lord. I want to speak on the subject a eulogy for a great lady. A eulogy for a great lady. Let's pray. Father, we need you now. We need the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit to do what my words alone cannot do. I need you to touch my mind, my heart, my mouth. I need you to touch our mind, our heart, our ears. Lord, help us not only to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word in Jesus name amen and amen will you give the Lord one more hand clap of praise for his word some of my fondest memories are of her she cradled me in her lap she held me to her bosom she rocked me in her arms. It was her that pointed me to Jesus. It was her that taught me the things that I know about his word. She's the one that kept me headed in the right direction. Through over five decades of life, she has guided me in the right direction. Now those things would be true of my biological mother for sure. But what I'm talking about is my spiritual mother, the church. The church has been a mother to me. My mother took me to church for nine months before I was even born. I literally cut my teeth on the backs of the church pews. I remember as a child in the little church that we attended, it was huge church to me in those days. Now I go back 
and see how small it was. I remember crawling up under the pews. I remember hiding there when old sister sermons would get to shouting and dancing and the bobby pins would start flying. The songs that I sang on Sunday are the songs that have guided me through life. They're not just songs that I enjoy. They're part of the fabric of who I am. The sermons that I heard preached, it was around her altars that the Lord first touched my heart. It's where he baptized me at nine years old in the Holy Ghost of God. It was at one of her camps that the Lord called me to preach on June the 23rd at 19 and 81. She has meant a lot to me, the church. St. Augustine said that you cannot have God for your father if you're not willing to have the church as your mother. The fact of the matter is the church in America has fallen on hard times. In many places, the church is sick. In some places, the church is dying. And sadly, there are places where the church is dead. Some folks uh, in our world are glad to see it. The church can't die soon enough for them. There are people in our society, and this is the disturbing thing, there are people that vote. There are people in our society that don't see the church as the answer, but see the church as the problem. There are people that absolutely think that the church can't die soon enough. Their mantra is like the Wizard of Oz, ding dong, the witch is dead. And sadly, there are some of her own children that are ready to see her go. There are people that were raised in her pews and maybe even some of the people that still come around some of the time that think that she is old and irrelevant and no longer worth having around. In fact, they think we're keeping her around just for the good that she has been. There are some people, and I've met them, and maybe you have too, that think that the church is so irrelevant that they decided I get more staying at home, reading my Bible or watching it on TV than I do gathering with the saints of God. Never mind that the scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more as you see the day approaching. But they think they know better, and they say, it doesn't meet my needs. Boy, that's an interesting thing anyway, isn't it? We live in an age where the church is a, a business and its members are consumers and they go to what meets their needs. Very rarely do you hear anybody talking about where has God placed me? Where did God put me? Where can I use my gifts, my abilities to serve God, to serve the community, to serve others? People say, no, I like the music over there or I like the preacher over here or I like the children's program there, or I like the youth program here. Shop around, consumerism has just about killed church attendance, and church is just one more thing for many people to do when they don't have anything better to do. 
If it's too cold to go to the beach or too hot to go to the mountains, they say, maybe I'll show up. Maybe I'll give my dollar. Maybe I can see the show. And I'll only do that if I get a blessing. There are people that say, I go to church to get mine. You know, in the Old Testament, when people went to the temple, they did not go to the temple to get a blessing. They went to the temple to present a sacrifice to worship God. They went to give something to God, not to get something from Him. It's amazing how we've twisted that in our age. And there are people that for them, the church cannot die soon enough. But they didn't know her in her strength. They didn't know her in her pride. They didn't know her when she was beautiful. I knew the church in her pride. The church that raised me, the church that took care of me, the church that guided me was one of beauty. It was a church that held me, her warmth, her love, her compassion on people, her passion for life guided me, shaped me, changed me. I believe in Acts chapter 9, this lady by the name of Tabitha in the Chaldean, the Hebrew, and Dorcas in the Greek, this lady is a picture of the church in our day, at least in America. She was a gracious lady and a graceful lady and a grace-filled lady. Her name, both in Hebrew and in Greek, meant gazelle. Gazelles are known for their beauty and for their grace. Now, I hate to throw my little Katie under the bus. Katie is absolutely beautiful, but Katie is not a ballerina. Katie's clumsy like her daddy. And sometimes she'll trip or fall and we'll say, like a gazelle. Gazelles are known for their grace. A person that is full of grace, a person that is grace-filled should be graceful in the way they move through this world, not in a physical sense, but a spiritual sense, and they should be gracious. There's nothing any more ugly than a people of grace that are, are ungracious to others. So ugly when church people go out to eat and they're the hardest ones in the restaurant to satisfy and leave the least, least amount of tips of anybody. It turns people off when they see pastors and preachers that have a give me mentality that you owe me something because I'm a minister. Those kinds of things turn people off, but this lady was a lady of grace. She was a lady of dignity. But for everything that she had been, and she had done a lot, we'll find out that she had labored and worked with her hands and had given to the poor and she had been a blessing to many People were clothed by the fruit of her hands. For all that she had been, for all that she had done, she had gotten old and she had gotten sick. And the church is sick. The church is dying. And in many places, the church is dead. Now, that's not a criticism. When we hear these things, we automatically, something rises up in us. We poke out our chest. We jut out our chin. We straighten our backbone. 
We get upset and we want to lash back out because we think that that's a criticism. It's not a criticism, it's a diagnosis. When you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I'm sorry, Mr. Jones, but it's cancer. That is not a criticism from the doctor. That is a diagnosis. And wouldn't you rather somebody tell you the truth about your health than to let you go on doing what you're doing or doing nothing at all about it and you end up dying because nobody was willing to share with you the tough news. Sometimes people look at doctors and they think that they're not compassionate and they don't know that that doctor has to draw themselves up and be very official and businesslike because it breaks their heart to tell somebody you've got cancer. And they don't mean to be uh, without compassion or human understanding, but they have to straighten themselves up to give the news. I'll tell you, it's not a pleasurable thing for a pastor to stand up and give a diagnosis to a church and say we're sick or dying or dead. But a diagnosis is just what it is. It is a statement of the facts, of the health of the church. Many of her children want to give the church a dignified death. They want to make sure that she is comfortable in her waning years. Most of us have been around people that were at the end of life. We knew it was coming. And we, the best that we could hope for, there was no, no prognosis of cure and the best that we could hope for was to make them comfortable and pain free. Let's keep them as comfortable as we can. And we want to make sure that their death is a dignified death. That's what some people think about the church. They say, that's all we can hope for. There are other people, listen to me, there are other people that would rather see the church die than see the church change. It's like when Granny finds out from the doctor that she's got high blood pressure and is borderline diabetic and Granny stops cooking like she used to cook. Granny doesn't cook you know, with, with a, a whole five-gallon bag of sugar for one cake anymore. Granny start, starts using things like stevia. <laughs> She's not using as much sugar anymore. Granny is now frying with vegetable oil instead of with lard. And we go to Granny's house and it doesn't taste like it used to taste. And Granny says, well, honey, I've lost 20 pounds and I'm feeling better. And the doctor says that my cholesterol's getting in shape. And in the back of our mind, we think, she don't have that much longer to live anyway. I wish she'd just cook like she's always cooked. And there are people that feel that way about the church. I don't care what makes her healthy. I just want it to be like it's always been. 
I just want to sit down at the table and enjoy it the way I've always enjoyed it. There are people that prefer their recollections of the church over a revival of the church. They like to sit around and talk about, you remember how we used to shout. You remember how we used to sing. You remember how we used to preach. You remember how we used to dance. Do you remember that time when we had to put out chairs because there were so many people coming? You remember when people used to stand around at the windows and look in. There are people that value their remembrance of the old grand old lady more than they value a revival of the grand old, old lady. People like to sit around the deathbed of the church and remember what she was. And we're coming up on homecoming next week and I'm excited about homecoming. But let me tell you that homecoming is not about our history. Homecoming is about our heritage. There's a difference in our history and our heritage. Our history is what happened. Our heritage is what's been handed down to us. We don't live in our history, but we cling to our heritage because this is a church that knew the Pentecostal fire of God. It knew a passion for the Savior. It knew a compassion for people. It was a church that was full of the love of God and the fellowship of the saints. Those are the, that's the heritage that has been down to, to us. And history is gone and is not coming back, but heritage is something that we take like receiving a baton and running our leg of the journey. We take that heritage and we protect it and we build on it and we grow in it and we pass it along to the next generation. That's what heritage is. You know, some folks would rather have a memory than a move of God. So they write on the chart, the medical chart of the church, D-N-R, do not revive. You ever been in those situations with family members or loved ones or someone you knew that they had on their chart, D-N-R, do not resuscitate? There are people that feel that way about the church. Let's just let her go on out. Let's just, let's just go along to get along. You can ride around this, around this uh, county and see churches that have absolutely made the conscious decision we would rather dwindle and die than we had make any change. Again, don't get mad at the diagnostician. This is not a criticism, it's a diagnosis. But Dorcas, as good as she was, as grand as she was, as good as she had been, Dorcas died. And the first thing they did when Dorcas died was they cared for the body by washing the body. They wanted her to look her best. 
They wanted her to present her in the best light. I remember a story of a man that retired from uh, Chicago, Illinois, and as he retired, he moved down to Fort Pierce, Florida, and he was only down there about three weeks, and he had a massive heart attack and died, and they shipped him back up to Chicago, and he had been down in Florida just long enough to get a nice tan, and they put him in a navy blue blazer and a white shirt and a red tie, and they had him there in the casket, and a couple of his buddies came by, and one of them said, you know old Ralph looks good, don't he? And the other one said, yeah, I think those three weeks in Florida did him a world of good. And we tend to do that with our dead, don't we? We tend to whitewash their reputation. We tend to sanitize their memory. Now I can tell you that even right here at West Ward Church of God, some of the great good old days that we look back to so fondly, if you will remember in 360 panoramic vision, you'll find out the church had some problems even then. The church had some warts even then. You'll remember that not everybody that was in Israel was of Israel even then. We like to whitewash it and we don't remember the church fights and the squabbles and the disappointments and, and the, the sins and all of that kind of stuff. We like to whitewash our dead. Then they put her in an upper room. In other words, they put her on a pedestal. Now the problem with putting an organization on a pedestal or an institution or an entity on a pedestal is you make growth impossible because when you put them on a pedestal, you put a do not touch on it. When you put a do not touch on it, that means you can't change it. When you can't change it, you can't grow it because change produces growth and growth produces change. I remember hearing about uh, two old guys that uh, that were kind of rounders, they were rough, and one of them died, and they were a little bit wealthy, and he, he went to the Church of God pastor in town, and he said, I want you to preach my brother's funeral, but I want you to tell everybody just how good he was. He said, I can't do that. Everybody knows he was a sorry, ran around, sought, drunk. Everybody knows that. I can't preach how good he was. He said, I'll give you $500 to preach his funeral. He said, well, I'll think of something. So he stood up, and he said, I want you to know old Joe laying here, he was a heavy drinker. He ran with wild women. He did drugs. He gambled. Gambled. He did anything. He was a brawler, a fighter. He was just a. He was just that kind of guy. Everybody knows that. But he was as good as gold compared to his sorry brother sitting right here. <laughs> and we begin to put the past on a pedestal. And then they begin to eulogize her with their memories of her. Peter showed up and they begin to show him the garments that she had made, the tunics that she had made, the good works. And she was a lady full of compassion and good works. She was. She wasn't perfect, but she was full of good works. She worked with her hands. Back uh, in the church that I grew up in, they, they had a little club that, that was called the Dorcas Club. And it was where women would make crafts and sell them in order to make money that they could send for foreign missions. And it was named after this lady, Dorcas or Tabitha. 
out in Oklahoma, there was a little church that got a prophecy pastor, never pastored a big church, never made a whole lot of money, but his wife would do that. His wife would make little crafts with her hands and she would sell those crafts for foreign missions and she had a couple of little boys in the house and one of them felt the call to be a pastor, to be a preacher. I've run revivals before for him. The other one went into business and he learned about crafts from his mama. So he started a little craft store called Hobby Lobby. And David Green has more money than Donald Trump. But you know what he does? He gives away hundreds of millions of dollars a year because his mama used to make little things with her hands and sell them to give to missions. And God's placed him as a multi-billionaire to fund the kingdom of God throughout the world. Well, she did a lot of good things and they began to walk down memory lane with him talking about what she used to do. And I can tell you that there's a lot of preaching today and I've done some of it myself that talks about what the church used to be and what the church used to do. But the problem is, as great as all that was, Tabitha was still dead. Dorcas was dead. And now that she's dead, Who's going to clothe the naked like she did? Who's going to work and labor and love like she did? Who's going to show the world the love of Jesus like she did? I am not giving you a criticism. I am giving you a diagnosis. What about our church? Are we sick? Are we dying? Are we dead? People get angry, as I said, when a doctor gives a diagnosis. But I want to know the truth, don't you? Now here's the good news. And the good news is, is that the diagnosis is an identification of the nature of an illness by an examination of the symptoms. But the good news is, is that the diagnosis does not determine the prognosis. The prognosis is the likely course of a disease or the forecast of a likely course of a disease or the forecast of a li likely outcome of a situation. And your diagnosis does not determine your prognosis. It is not your diagnosis that determines your prognosis. It is the treatment of the diagnosis that determines your prognosis. So if the doctor says, Britt, I've got some bad news for you, and the bad news is you've got cancer, devastating news. That C word's scary. But if he then said, but we've treated this kind of cancer before, and I've had a 95% success rate in treating this kind of cancer. All of a sudden, my diagnosis is still bad, but my prognosis is positive. 
And let me tell you that just diagnosing, you don't have to be spiritual, you don't have to be godly, you don't have to have any wisdom to diagnose the problem. It's evident, but the diagnosis doesn't determine the prognosis, the treatment does. And let me tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ has a 100% success rate in treating dead churches. He knows how to do it. They called for Peter, and when Peter came in, they called on his name. They sent for him, and Peter came in. I don't want to stretch this out too long, but when I pastored over the Church of God of Prophecy and Acts in my home church, first church that I pastored, we had a, a, a little lady there. They only had church on, I think it was second and fourth Sunday mornings at their church. So the rest of the time, they came to church with us. She was a little black lady. She stood about four feet tall. And, went, and we'd call on her to sing. She'd come up and sing. Sister Catherine Birch, I think her name was. And when she'd sing, she'd hold the microphone like that. But she sung a little song about Jesus being our doctor. It was years later that I heard a choir sing that song and I heard the little story that went along with the song. The little story that went along with the song was a family, a black family, was out traveling many years ago. And they had a terrible car accident. But as it would have it, only about a mile down the road was where the doctor lived. Big, nice house. Poor black family, the mama was with them, the wife, the children. They took daddy out of the car and they somehow were able to carry him about a mile and get to the doctor's house. It was pouring rain. They knocked on the door and the doctor's wife answered the call and he said, I'm sorry, my husband is not here. He's out on a call. That was when doctors made house call. He's out on a call. But you can bring him in and set him on the couch. They brought Daddy in. Laid him on the couch, bleeding. Grandma looked around, said to the white lady, said, you got a closet? Said, what do you need a closet for? She said, I need a closet where I can go in and pray. And she got in that closet and she started singing this old spiritual song. Come on in the room. Come on in the room. Jesus, he's my doctor. And he writes out all of my prescriptions. And he gives me all my medicine in my room. All of a sudden, Granny got happy. And the family got happy. And the white lady got happy. And then they heard a knock on the door. And it was the doctor that had only gotten about five minutes away, said the storm was so bad I couldn't make it where I was going. I had to turn around and come back home and he was there to treat that man. I'm gonna tell you that the diagnosis may look dire. It may look like we're sick, we're dying, we're dead. But I'm gonna tell you we have a great physician that we can call out and say, come on in the room. And Jesus is our doctor and he gives us all of our medicine in our room. Peter walked in and they took him up to the funeral bear. 
And the first thing that he did, all of those people that were crying over this grand lady, he put them out of the room. And I'm gonna tell you that the people that are telling you and talking to you about the demise of the church, you need to turn them off. You need to put them out of your earshot. You need to say, I don't wanna hear that doubt. I don't wanna hear that diagnosis. I know what the, what the facts are, but I also know what the truth is. And I'm tired of you talking negative. You're gonna have to go somewhere else with that. And he put them out of the room. And then the Bible says that Peter got down on his knees I'm telling you, if God would help us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he would exalt us in due season, get down on your prayer bones, and he begin to pray and cry out to Almighty God, the God of heaven. Oh God, if we could have a revival of praying saints that would get down to business with God, and when after he prayed, he turned to that dead, old woman and he in the name of Jesus said to her Tabitha arise and I want you to know that the word of God Jesus himself has a word for you today and he's saying my church my bride my child arise amen and she set up and when she set up Peter went over and took her by the hand I want you to know you may feel like that your diagnosis is negative today, dire, but your prognosis has never looked better. If you'll reach up a feeble hand, there's a God in heaven that'll reach down his hand and grab you and lift you up and set you on your feet again. She wasn't sick. She wasn't dying. She was dead. And that wasn't the bad news. You've been listening to me today and you think what I've been telling you is bad news. But what I've been telling you isn't the bad news. Because the truth of the matter is the only church that matters is the resurrected church. In fact, the only church that is a church is a resurrected church. Oh, but you don't understand. Dorcas used to make these little things with her hands. She used to do good works. She was such a great lady. Can I tell you that you can do good things without doing God things? Can I tell you, Westward Church of God, we still doing a lot of good things. But I'm telling you, doing good things in the power of our own flesh is never going to work. It's only the church when the resurrection power of Jesus is living and pulsing and throbbing and operating in us and through us. We are, have got a task and a mission that is not difficult. It is impossible unless there's the Holy Ghost of God living and breathing and working through us. But listen to me, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that'll quicken our mortal bodies. It's called revival. 
And that's what the church needs. We don't, we don't need medicine. We don't need an exercise program. We don't need to get healthier. We need to get revived. And that's what the Lord does. Now listen at what the Bible says, and I'm about to close. Listen to what the Bible says. After Peter raised this woman from the dead, the Bible says that the word got all around the city. And everybody got to come look at the woman that was dead, was alive, and many believed and were saved. Let me tell you what happens when a dead church is revived by the power of God. All of a sudden, the word gets around town. You know, they've got revival going on over there. You know, come, come look at that place we thought was dead and look what's going on. I'm going to tell you if we can allow God to revive us saints, word will spread around town. You won't have to beg people to come. You won't have to trick people to come. You won't have to have the right PR campaign. You won't have to give away door prizes when the power of God is there. I'm telling you, people will start lining up out the back door to get their needs met because they heard that there's a God that is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living and he has revived his church. Now, if you want to be one of the revived, if you want the Lord to wake you up, if you want him to raise you from the dead, lift up your hand and say, that's me. I want revival in my soul. Yes, amen. Yes. Amen. 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 If I had the opportunity and this wouldn't mess up this carpet, I'd draw a circle around the, this carpet and stand in it and say, Lord, the problem with this church is standing in this circle. But Lord, I'm asking you to revive everything in this circle and begin it with me. Because I can't do it for you, Jan. I can't do it for you, Gilbert. I can't do it for you, James. I can't do it for you, Cameron. I can't do it for you but I can have business with God myself. And I can say, Lord, I want to see the church revived, but I'm not accountable for everybody else. So God, I'm going to start with what I can do. I'm going to ask you to come and speak life to me. I'm going to ask you to touch me one more time. Listen, I... There may be people here that aren't saved and when I give this altar call, you can come. There may be people away from God. When I give this altar call, I encourage you to come. But I'm talking to the saints today. And I'm talking to people that I know love God and love this church. And you're doing the best that you can. And it's not good enough. Because the best that man can do will never accomplish what only God can do. So let's stop doing the best that we can and let's make ourselves available for the best that God can do. How many wants revival in your own heart and soul? I'm going to ask you to stand today across this building. Can I stand in the circle first? 
Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you come from all over this building and say, Lord, here's my circle and I'm standing in it. Revive me, oh God. Come on, from all over this church, I'm not going to beg you. If you want to be alive in the spirit, if you want to be revived, I want you to come and raise your hand and say, Lord, will you revive me?